So this is the Nickel Talk About Anything podcast here in the studio with me. I've got Chief Derek Brewer from Zephyr Hills Police Force. Chief, yeah. welcome. Thanks for uh, showing up and being <laughs> yeah. here and being part of this. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite because yeah. uh, I think this is a great opportunity to um, get people to know um, members of this community. And... Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the... Um, one of the things that I've noticed, I've lived here about seven and a half years in Zephyr Hills. And of course, you know, I grew up in a lot smaller town than this, but then I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for 11 years. And so coming here is a lot more of a small town. And yet there's there's still, um, there's crime and things like that that you experience sure. in, in larger areas. I mean, where I grew up, like, we didn't have, I mean, the police was just the sheriff's department responding to accidents and <laughs> right. minor things, you know. and And then like here... Um, just yesterday, I was visiting um, somebody's home that's a member of this church, and we also mow their lawn when they're gone. And they're they're actually in the county district, but they are uh, somebody had broken into their house, and it looked like they just pilfered through it, you know, drawers and medicine cabinets, and nothing was really damaged. But they unlocked all the windows and all the doors, so it looked like they could get back. So I notified them and said, "Do you want me to involve the police?" I said, "I don't think they're going to be able to do much of anything, you know, without anything being really damaged." And they said why bother you know it's like it's it... yeah you know and that's the the unfortunate part is i think from a law enforcement standpoint we don't want residents to feel that way yeah you know we want them to report those incidents because you just never know what you get from the ones that maybe don't want to prosecute or they don't think anything will happen you just never know what you may get from that particular crime scene that may solve another. That's true. Yeah. Um, and we also, if they're not reported, it's hard for us to know what the issues are. Um, you know, we talk about hot spots and stuff like that. So a lot of times, hot spots uh, help us identify where the crime is occurring. So if we don't know about it, it's not the, the map's not going to light up. So. So so basically, when you have those hot spots, you can actually um, concentrate certain efforts, you know, to address that. Maybe yeah. send more patrol through the area, or just you know, be paying more attention in what you're listening to, to know, okay, these are trends that are happening. Is Absolutely. That, is that it? Yeah. Okay. We, and I think a lot of times you'll see that, um, crimes are, occur in certain areas because, uh, particularly burglaries, uh, your yeah. suspect doesn't live that far away. Um, okay. so, you know, if, if we can put more resources over there it may help us identify, yeah, who or, or what the problem is and and take the necessary steps to try to prevent that from happening. But if we don't know it, then it's hard to address those. Makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, so like what um, what would be a, a typical response? I mean, so let's say we did call it in if it was in the city limits, you know, you'd have an officer respond. Do you have uh, crime scene investigators or detectives that show up or does just the officer have fingerprint kits and stuff like that that they do? Or yeah. How does that work? Uh, Typically, we do. Um, the The officer um, ends up taking the initial report. Okay. Um, if we feel like there's anything of evidentiary value, mm -hmm. we will send crime scene. In fact, we usually send crime scene to most. Yeah. Um, and from that point, we usually give those cases to detectives because a okay. lot of times, you know, they may be related. Yeah. Um, so the detectives kind of compile all of those cases to see if the mo is matching okay. up to yeah, others kind of see some some trends like hey this one's related to this one Correct. so maybe we can put a couple of those details together right yeah that makes sense so um 
now this this one like for instance was in pasco county's uh territory um do they have a similar process i mean are they going to respond in a lot the same way i'm not i'm not asking you if they don't you know just say anything I, negative about them but i would think so okay. um yeah. I, I don't know their process but I, okay. I would say it's a pretty typical response yeah, yeah. So. okay yeah i think that's good to know that you know as a citizen i mean there's a lot of stuff in in any realm of life that it's like man i don't i didn't know that i was reading something on facebook today about um somebody's car insurance that they were in a friend's vehicle and they thought they were covered by their insurance right but the problem was they had they didn't have their vehicle anymore it you know and they hadn't reported that to their insurance so they actually weren't covered it is a weird like loophole <laughs> in the thing and so like now this they were speeding in their friend's car the friend's car got impounded and it's like all these things that you're like i wish i would have known that probably right. before i loaned them my car and all that stuff so yeah with policing i mean i think a lot of times even for me talking with these people on the phone it was like you know do you guys really want to pursue this if nothing was damaged you know that right. kind of thing but now hearing it from you i'm learning stuff like oh we're actually not helping the police force out to help solve other crimes right. that might have been potentially worse so that's good and i'll just give you an example in that situation let's just say that um a pasco county deputy did arrive yeah. and and took a report um a lot of times they're going to check with neighbors Okay, to see yeah. if they saw anything. Well, they may be victims as well. Oh, okay. So, uh, and again, you just never know what you may collect at a crime scene mm -hmm. that may help solve the others. Okay. So, um, I always encourage people to report stuff, even if it seems insignificant. Yeah. Um, Call the non-emergency number. Yeah, right? sure. And, and uh, just, right. you know. It's not a 911 call at that point. Right. Nobody was there. Nobody was, Correct. you know, nobody was lurking around at that point. Right. But call a non-emergency and get it, get it out there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so here, you know, we live in Zephyr Hills or, you know, we're just where we serve. Um, you know, you probably don't want to give your address for the writer. <laughs> right. like you, so, right. uh, you try to, you don't have the, uh, you want to have a luxury that I don't. I live next door to the church where <laughs> right. I'm the pastor at, and so it seems like everybody and their brother knows that, but you have a lot more reason to probably keep that hidden sure. uh, every now and then. There's somebody that's got a, a grudge, or you just don't need people knocking on your door asking these questions that I'm right. asking about their friend's house that got broken into. But um, you serve in this community. How long have you actually been on uh, just, force here? Yeah, just over 20 years. Yeah. So, had you served on another force somewhere before this, or was this Zephyr Hills PD is my first and only law enforcement wow. job. Wow. And I don't regret a second of it. That's great. So, you've seen a few changes over time. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Your predecessor had been, had he been the chief the whole time that, that you were on the force, or how long had he been there? Um, so, actually, there's been, let me see, one, two, three, four chiefs prior to me. Okay. That I've worked for. That you've worked for, yeah. Um, so... You know, I've seen different styles. Some have lasted, you know, longer than others. Yeah. Um, like um, Chief Shears, he had lasted quite a long time. Uh, he was able to retire here, which is a, mm -hmm. a phenomenal achievement um, as a police chief. And um, but we had others that didn't, you know, didn't make it. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, it just, um, you know, it didn't work out. Um, but you know, I feel pretty fortunate to have seen all those different styles yeah so um, you probably learned something from each of these guys yeah. right like i mean and some of it good some of it bad i'm sure Absolutely, you sure. know and and probably what what would you say like over time 
in in how many 20 how many years did you say 20 20 yeah. years so in 20 years of being part of a police force like there's probably been a lot of changes in how policing happens i mean sure right i mean yeah and we're seeing calls for that around the nation you know and a lot of riots and and rallies and protests right. and some peaceful some not yeah um but but you know what how does somebody even approach that in your position because you know i think of it from the terms of i mean i'm i'm a pastor i came into a church that had problems um there were some good folks here and and by all means they were well intentioned and doing good things and yet there was also issues from maybe it was prior leadership or just sad realities of finances and crumbling building structures and all this stuff that you know that i inherited that and so some of it is um you know you don't want to say oh well there's this person or that person or that person's fault for any of this it's just a simple reality of here's the here's the the thing that i was handed and now i've got to make something good out of this that can actually um be important to the community and make a difference and so um it's a lot of work sometimes to both manage currently what you have but also work to change a culture and grow it so did you find you know do you relate to that a little bit with how how you since you've been in office as the chief of police here um obviously i think you know we've seen since i started we've seen the evolution of technology and yeah. social media that has greatly impacted law enforcement and you know adapting to that has not been easy because there's always a cost yeah um and also kind of when it came to social media there's a lot of um unknown like mm. you you try to adapt to the way um you know society is communicating um but i, I can tell you for from our standpoint we know that social media is a great way to get out to the community yeah. but we still like those personal connections sure, sure. so um we've tried to, to mix the two um still get out there and talk to people but at the same time we understand people would rather get their information from <laughs> from their phone or their laptop or whatever yeah. it is so you know adapting to that has been has been a challenge and also going along with the technology we need for investigating crimes um, has changed dramatically. It it just seems like we're constantly looking at new technology such as body cameras Mm -hmm. and we've had those for several years now and um, you know I think if you were to ask um, chiefs 10-15 years ago that would be the furthest thing from their mind but now they're almost a necessity um and it's not just to protect the citizens but it's there to protect the officers so um well and and that's something you know that nobody ever wants to um think is going to happen but there's there might be an officer involved shooting or a just something terribly tragic that happens that you know we've seen these i mean that's the like the curse of the internet and the immediate news cycle is is everybody's judge and jury before we've actually seen facts and so we see some kind of footage and we're like oh my goodness you know or we hear about some kind of shooting or something around the country and we're so quick to say it was this person's fault or that officer did this or that and so sure. that body cam footage can be there for that officer's protection if if there was a justified situation right. but also in the other case for those you know 0.01% of you know officers that either woke up on the wrong side of the bed and had a horrible day that ruined somebody's life and their own and their family's lives, or maybe they've had a history that was 
le- leading towards that. Right. That body cam footage then helps the victim to get their justice too. Sure. So it can go both ways, I'm sure. But I bet there's probably a time when like officers were totally opposed to him because they're like, you don't put that on me. Don't record everything I'm doing. Oh, I, I think they still finished. kind of that sentiment um, yeah. among some, um, you know, and, and truthfully, I, I, my personal opinion is, is um, you probably shouldn't be a cop if you, yeah. Like if you're doing what's right, you'll be fine. Correct. <laughs> um, but I will tell you, it's, it's an adjustment and I, I've, I'm very, proud of the way um the officers at the zephyros police department have adjusted to that yeah um they have uh, really embraced the program um because i think they have seen it work in their favor more than it didn't yeah so um i think again i that's just one of those things where the unknown um, you don't know how it's going to affect you or your job um, until you're doing it. And then once you realize it when you're doing it and you and like, you, oh, you understand the benefits of it, then, you know, you, you're a little bit more comfortable with it. So have you had over time, you know, officers that were maybe like not even just slow to get with the program on that, but really resistant to it. They just said, no, I like the old school style policing, whatever that might be. But I mean, they look back to some way that it was, and they think that it always needs to be this way. That just kind of didn't, didn't come along with the changes and ended up finding their way out of the department. I mean, it, did you have a lot of that kind of over time? I think, um, I'll be honest with you. When we in- initiated the program, I think, um, those officers, um, we did themselves out pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, they started keying up their resumes pretty quickly, yeah. <laughs> updating them to like start right. looking elsewhere. Which I'm okay with because, yeah. um, again, if um, if you're not comfortable with the change of law enforcement, yeah. um, probably shouldn't be in it. That's true. You know, I I mean, on a different, totally different level, I've experienced some of that in church leadership with. Um, you know, just kind of coming in, and and my intention is never to push anyone out. But there's times where I've found, hey, what we're doing is broken or not working or not effective or just not what the church should be doing. And we're going to we're going to change our activities. We're going to change our calendar and we're going to change our budget to reflect where we need to be focused. And yes, almost like immediately, you know, who's going to be okay with that and who's not. And unfortunately, um, probably in both settings, but I know in my world, people tend to cling on to that so long and they'll, they'll resist it so hard and they'll, they'll work against their friends and their pastor and everyone. Sure. And it's like, listen, there's a thousand churches. Just pick one that, that does what you're wanting to do. But right. I've got, you know, I was, I mean, I believe I was called here by God to work in this church and in this community. And so I'm going to do the things that I feel like he's, he's leading me to do. And so um, I'm going to try to do that in a way that brings people on board, Right. but they're not all going to come on board. And so by the time, I said it this way, most of the time, by the time somebody's ready to walk out the door, I've never pushed them out, but I will hold it for them, Yeah, you know, in a gracious way, but still, nonetheless, like, by the time they're ready to go, I've been ready, because they've made it clear what their intentions were. Well, and that's actually a great point, um, and I will tell you that, um, you know, even though I felt like the Chiefs prior to me left me in pretty good yeah. position, um, I did want to try to change some of the culture mm-hmm. within the agency, and um, like you said, you kind of identify who's going to be okay with the change and who's yeah. not right away. 
Um, and it really did help me change some of the culture within the agency. Um, and I, we've, I mean, truly we had just, I'm blessed to have the staff that I have yeah. because, you know, if they've embraced what we're doing and, um, not just within the department, but in the community and, um, you, you know, the, every one of them have given examples of, you know, what I'm trying to um, establish, um, not just for our agency, for just police work in general. Um, I know every agency doesn't um, subscribe to the way um, we do policing, but I believe the way we do it is the right way. Yeah. Um, if it's not, it's the way I want it done. So, <laughs> so. So you talked about kind of the way you do it uh, in your agency. Um, how would you characterize that as far as, like, I mean, I've seen it in action, and I've seen, I've been there at the city council meetings where some of your new officers were installed and, and things like that, and just seeing what some of them have gone to school for or some of their, you know, you've you've brought in officers that have, uh, they're multilingual so they can yeah. communicate with, you know, residents who might not have English as and any language they speak or not as their primary language and, you know, trying to, like I see some of what I see the efforts that you're trying to do, but how would you want to characterize it for for us to know about? Well, I'd say first and foremost, you know, um, you know, integrity is is one of the first mm, things we're looking for. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say when you're trying to um, diversify the department, mm -hmm. um, and and we say this all the time, you need diversity to attract diversity, right? Yeah. So um there has been times where we have lacked that um so that was one of my goals was to um become more diverse um well and in zephyr hills isn't a monocultural town by any stretch no. of the imagination and and so you know i imagine um I mean, I I like to insert myself into situations where I am in the minority because it helps me to identify with others. So, yes. like, I go to uh, the international barbershop around the corner because, A, I like the guys and right. I have a good time with them. But, B, it's like, and, and um, I mean, there's there's white guys that come in there, too, but at least it's somewhere where I'm not the, the majority population. You know, yeah. I get to kind of see somebody else's world and walk in their shoes for a minute. And just kind of hear what they talk about, how they live, what they're experiencing. And we've had some pretty real conversations about things in the world in there. And so it's it's like, I mean, they've made movies about barbershops and how people right. sit there and shoot the breeze and everything. And it's, it's a fun thing to do, but it's good to put yourself in diverse situations. And so when you can incorporate that into your agency, not only does it help the other officers, but it also helps, I think, the community see that your intentions are for everyone. Absolutely. And I... And again, it's not obviously you want to represent the community. Yeah. Um, so you want to have um, that diverse um, makeup mm -hmm. so that it reflects your population. Um, that's not always easy, sure. um, you know, because a lot of those, um, you know, some communities are very distrustful of the police. So yeah. why would they want to be part of it? Yeah. Right. So um, that is that does become difficult. But. It's important to the community, but it's important to us, too, because, like you said, it gives you a different perspective. Yeah. Um, it helps you learn um, more about how they see the world as opposed to a white police officer. I, 
I've learned so much from our uh, black and Hispanic mm -hmm. officers just by talking to them. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's so important to what you're trying to build, uh, that cohesion, um, but uh, mutual respect. Um, and that's the type of thing we're trying to get out is, um, hey, you know what? Um, some people make, good people make bad choices. Yeah. You know what? Um, and understanding what they may have gone through in the past, um, whether it's with the police or um, anything else. Yeah. It kind of gives you a, a better appreciation of how they view the world. Um, well, and you guys catch people sometimes on one of their worst days, absolutely, right? Absolutely, bad like, days. And that might yeah. be something that they caused. Yep. It might might just be a situation they found themselves in. But right. you got to be ready to deal with some pretty heavy stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I just came from, we had a funeral service here in the church uh, just before our appointment here today. And... You know, it, it was, it was, you know, a good celebration, but, you know, sometimes I, um, I've done funerals for, um, people that died in tragic circumstances, maybe, um, a couple different pedestrians that got hit and killed. Yeah. And those are just always, they, they hit very hard right. and are very heavy, you know, especially, um, one was a 17 year old boy. And it was just, it's like, how do I bring comfort to the family in that time? I feel so, mm -hmm. I feel so incapable of it really, to be honest, from a human perspective and, and yet, you know, I imagine you guys see some stuff where you have to bring news to people sometimes that that is a, it's emotional. a tough thing. Yeah, it's emotional. And, and so you got to be trained for all of those things, right? Right. I mean, not just for the policing, but also for when you have to tell somebody some bad news or, yeah. or come for them through that. And obviously some people are better at it than others. Um, you know, but... You know, we preach having empathy, but not everybody has the same level of empathy. Um, you know, we have some that are just, they're going to deliver that information, very matter of fact. Yeah. And, um, well, and, and for that matter, you know, empathy, I always think you have to have had some of that experience sure. yourself, too. And so um, I, this, this is when it actually really drove home for me what empathy really was. I, I've had people, you know, I have a lot of older folks in the congregation, they complain about the sciatic pain and things like that. And I, I've had lower back pain most of my life. And I think oh, I'll walk it off. You know, I, right. I push through it. And then I had my sciatic nerve get pinched and it was yeah. like three weeks that I didn't feel like doing anything. Cause it just, you know, it hurt just to move or get out of bed. I couldn't feel my leg. I couldn't walk very well. I was like, okay, okay. You know, I get it now. Right. And you know, I'm sitting there, you know, talking to a chiropractor like, Hey, when can you see me? You're like, Oh, it's a week and a half. And then we'll do the initial. And I'm like, can we do something right now? You know? <laughs> right. And so, Oh, that's what these folks are going through. And so I had a lot more empathy now. Sure. And so I am more sympathetic when I do it because I've, I've walked in those shoes. So right. I think some of us, we learn empathy for different situations once it actually hits us. Right. You know, and somebody might not have had um, a loved one close to them that died, you know, or maybe the only people they know that died were 90 something years old. And they're like, Oh, well they were old, you know, but right. then as soon as you're, you know, 60 year old, you know, father or uncle or whoever passes away. Now all of a sudden you get what other other people are going through, and so, um, yeah, is you can try to train empathy, but until they get some of those situations personally, no question, sympathy is the best we can hope for. Be yes. sympathetic. 
but at the same time i think you know it doesn't take long in yeah. police work um to experience some of those situations yeah um so it, it really does allow you to quickly realize uh wow this person really is in some pain i, I yeah. need to make sure that you know i'm showing some level of uh, at the very least courtesy and some yeah. respect yeah. right um but one of the things, um, as as you learn this job, you kind of, um, it's, you may go to a call and it may seem insignificant, mm -hmm. um, but obviously they called you for a reason. Yeah. Right? So it's significant to them. Significant to them. So understanding that going in, um, you'll go a long way as a police officer because... Um, yeah, it may seem like it's just not that big of a deal to you, but yeah. hey, it's a big deal to them. So let's treat it as such. Yeah, like the old fire fire department getting a cat out of a tree, and you're like, seriously, you're going to waste their time with this? Right. But to maybe that little old lady or whoever it is, like that cat is the only thing they right. got to live for right. on a daily basis. You know, and to them, it's the world. Right. Um, and we talk yeah. a lot about you know people's interaction with police, right? So it doesn't always have to be in a traffic stop. It could be on one of those scenes where there's a death of a loved yeah. one and how that interaction goes plays a big part in how they perceive police. Sure. Um, so, you know, we talk about, we, we live by, um, three buzzwords, um, service, respect, and dignity. And I actually got that, uh, here on our screen, yeah. I think, um, somewhere. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So we try to apply that to just about every situation we go into. And, and I've just made it very clear, you know, that is our mission. Um, but at the same time, if you remember those three words going into those situations, are you applying the mission mm. to these calls for service or any yeah. interaction with the public? It's good. So, um, and I, I can tell you, I think that, um, again, police officers all have bad days. Sure. Um, I think they've done a wonderful job of um, taking that initiative mm -hmm. and and really applying it to what we're trying to do. So what are some of the, um, like, when you look at pools of candidates, if you have an officer's position that needs to be filled, are you looking primarily at officers who haven't, don't have much experience or maybe just out of academy or school, you know, or, or are you looking at, you know, it seems like it's kind of tough to train somebody in this like if you're bringing in a new hire is almost rather find somebody that doesn't have any any experience on a force yet so that you don't have to untrain bad behaviors sometimes sometimes yeah i mean i'm sure there's sometimes where you've got to have a certain level of experience you know that you're looking for right. but um, well and it and again i kind of uh, go back to integrity from the beginning oh, yeah. of the interview right so we can train the other stuff but if you don't have integrity right forget it, right? you know I, i've said this before like I, i'm driving the bus right yeah um I'm the chief, so I'm driving the Zephyr Hills Police Department bus. The ticket to get on the bus is integrity. Yeah. So whatever your experience, characteristics, um, what you bring to the table, if you don't have that, then maybe you shouldn't be on the bus. Yeah. So. I'm trying to remember. Is that, is that, did you get that from a book? Uh, I'm trying to think of, there's a book that I read where he uses that analogy, and I'm trying to remember what it is. He talks about businesses that have failed and that have excelled and uh, it's a really actually, long I, I am i don't know the name of the book either but i actually learned it in my um in my master's program okay. um and it was um 
it was applying business principles yeah. to law enforcement. So Jim um, Collins, good to great. Does that sound right? Yes. I think that's what it that's is. That's it. Yeah, good yep. to great. I, I was like sitting here, I'm like, I can picture the cover. You got it. I've got to figure it yeah. out. But yeah. Yeah, and, and um it's a I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks on Audible. Yeah. And I know there's um I know there's like a free one that you can get that's connected to the public libraries and so uh people have been bugging me to do that. But um I, I listen to a minimum of two books a month on Audible and I was actually shocked recently. I was at a conference for pastors. I, I know I'm 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 a nerd, right? We all have a thing. And so I'm at this pastors conference in Orlando back in March and I was blown away by this simple fact that they said if you go to college, post college um, and I forget the number, but it was a very small percentage of men ever like read a book at all, unless it has to do with their, uh, like their company or their job, forcing them to do it as part right. of the training thing. And I was like, are you serious? I, you know, I read minimum of two a month because that's what my audible subscription level is. And then the, they throw in these free ones here and there every now and then I actually have time. I pick up a paper copy. So I'm like, I'm reading 30 books a year right. and that's not bragging. And sometimes I go back and reread old ones. And so sometimes like some of it, a bitter, it might just be one bitter piece, but the, the, what you were saying from good to great, just putting the right, um, the right people on the bus, you know, you know, it, it's, it's going to serve it well yep. and putting the wrong folks on there, especially the wrong person in the driver's seat isn't going to be effective. So, um, I imagine that's quite a struggle. I mean, I, I see that in any organization, on different levels of getting the right people in the right leadership yeah. positions and you can't advance your progress with the wrong people correct calling stuff out um so so what have been some of the like maybe struggles in getting um, um i don't know how i want to say it like getting people to to like maybe you hire somebody you say okay you've got integrity but they won't they won't adapt like maybe they learned something in their college that they went to or at academy and you're trying to get them to see how we're putting it in action do you have those problems at all in yeah. sometimes yeah i think absolutely you're always going to have that yeah um everybody has different beliefs on um yeah. you know how particularly law enforcement how law enforcement and that's not just police officers we're talking about the public too they have a perception of right. how law enforcement is right. supposed to be right done. um so, and I can appreciate that. So, will you ever find the perfect mix? I, I don't think that's possible. Yeah. Um, but I think as long as they understand what your mission is, um, and they still decide... It's like you, to you join, signed up for this. This is right. what we told you when you signed up. So, right. let's abide. Let's, let's live by it. Yeah, yeah I don't... Uh, it's not something that, um, you know, I'm very clear of. Yeah. what what we're trying to accomplish uh, from the very beginning of the hiring process um and i i think that if you don't um like the way that's done i you probably choose another path but at the yeah. very least if you are offered a job and you come on the expectation is clear so there's an expectation to yeah. follow it so what are some of the um some of the areas you know, in our community where, where you guys have 
struggled the most working to make a change? For instance, I know one thing um, that you and I have been able to work together with a great group of folks on in our town. We call it the hub, and it's yeah. so it's somewhat unofficial at this point. We, we might have an organization called the hub at some point, but you came to a group of people with a problem, or specifically to Beth Aker with right. uh, Meals on Wheels, and she rallied some troops around and just like. Beth, she was amazing. Beth is she. There, I went. I went on a ride with her to somewhere where she was gonna go talk to someone and, and about a, a certain matter. And I was like, "Can I tag along with you? Like, I want to see this." And the person wasn't there, so we're sitting in the parking lot. And she called him, and she's like, "Okay, but here's what I need done. And when is it gonna happen? And blah blah yeah. blah. This is dragged out long enough." And I'm like. I need a little more of that because, like, in my world, I'm told, like, okay, you can't really push too hard because you'll isolate and alienate people. And she's like, I don't have time for that. You know, we got stuff we got to get done. But she pulled together this group she because did. you came with a problem. You want to, you know, but that's one of them. You want to talk a little bit about. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, um, yeah, maybe unofficial. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will tell you, it's, to me, it's the greatest group of individuals. Yeah. Um, and I can't thank the ones that participate enough because um, they really do have a common goal and it's very unselfish and um, they're looking out for one another. Um, and that's what I love about this group. Yeah. Um, did, was that my intent when <laughs> I went to Beth? Um, I don't know. Um, I just kind of felt like, um, you know, community problems need to be addressed from community leaders. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of opportunity to complain about homelessness. And I understand that. Um, but at the same time, um, I think it's fair to address homelessness in a compassionate um, and very uh, ethical way. Um well, I mean, I again, that, that goes back, you know, what's on your, your badge on your arm, Correct. you know, is what your motto is, right? That's part of it is, is dignity Absolutely. I mean, and respect. Like you just, you know, if, if you can approach everyone with that and some people, right. we might say they're not like, they're not worthy of that respect or dignity because of this, this, and this that they've done. And that might be true on some level, right. but at the same time, like we've all got blood coursing through our veins, right? Like our DNA is almost, you know, our, our like our DNA is within, I think it's 0.5%. It's all the same. It's only that little half a percent that makes you, yeah. you. So I don't care what your ethnicity, race, economic status, any of that is like, we're almost identical. Sure. And yet we treat each other so differently based on whatever these criteria. And so, like you see, I mean, where I live, we're just down the street from Healing Hearts Cafe, which is one of the partners in the hub. Yep. And and they've been open over there for like a year, year and a half. And, and they're, um, you know, you're well aware. But I mean, they're, they're a drop-in, uh, daily drop-in kind of hangout place. They serve meals. They wash laundry. They, um, uh, My friend Ernest that works at the place where I get my hair cut, uh, cuts and fades, he's the one that owns it. He does haircuts for several of their folks, you know, for free. Like he just said, Hey, where can I help out? And I was like, yeah. you can go right there. You can walk to it from your barber shop, or they can walk to you and right. get their haircut. Um, they've got mail services so people can have an address, but that also, once they moved there, that increased a lot of foot and bicycle traffic sure. of homeless or almost homeless individuals. Right. And so I tell you, chief, I've picked up a lot of trash. I've dealt with some stuff. Yeah. There's these metal, uh, 
lids that go over the communications boxes for Frontier or somebody. Somebody stole one the other night. I was sitting out here. I had a little campfire, and um, and I heard this clanging noise. I'm like, what in the world? And I go out there, and the little, the, like, the guts of the thing are hanging over. And I, why did this guy take it? And I've got security cameras, but they were, like, they're so cheap. They're the ones from Harbor Freight, and they're just, like... <laughs> You know, and I, I mean, my porch light is like a bright LED, so it washes it out. And so all I could see was a guy in a bike, and there's no way you could make anything right. out. And like all the FBI shows I watch or whatever shows that enhance stuff, I'm like, no, they don't. Not this. It's <laughs> not like that. It's still grainy. It's a bad image. You're not yeah, getting anything no. from this. So I didn't feel the need to call that in, but it's like, he stole that thing off of there, you know? Now, I'm not saying he was coming from Healing Hearts Cafe. I don't know where he was coming no, from, sure. but I'm just saying, like, you know, so, so I mean, if I found that guy, I'm not going to like you know, try to tell me he's the scum of the earth, you know, he's, who knows what his thing is that drives him to do petty stuff like that. Right. I don't know what he's doing with it, you know? Yeah, and as we, we've learned um, just by collaborating, co- collaborating in this group is, you know, uh, homelessness is not isolated to one specific yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, everybody has their own reason for being homeless. Um, and if, if you treat it... Um, with a blanket response, you're probably going to be somewhat unsuccessful. Um, So I think with, with that in mind, the homelessness is the challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But what I am thankful for (laughs) is that um, this is something that I've tried to um, really get off the ground um, for quite a long time, even before I became chief. And, um, you know, for the first time, I really feel like there's at least positive progression. Um, and, you know, again, having the right people yeah. is certainly the key to, to I don't, I don't know if we're going to solve it, but, you know, maybe we fix it a little yeah. bit. Right. One of the, one of the things I've heard you say is, you know, um, homelessness isn't necessarily a police issue in the way that you guys can't fix it like with your normal tools whatever those might be i mean arresting isn't going to fix anything you know first and foremost like correct even even you know i know our local sheriff's office has a mandate in there if they find a homeless camp to like slash tents if they find them and i mean on one hand i understand when people you know somebody probably owns that property or even if it's public land it's like okay but if you uproot a homeless camp from one place they're going to go live somewhere else and if they were in a a little unit there my biggest thing with them is i see them like i know where one is down at the point where like two highways split off and yeah and it's like they've got trash there there's shopping carts laying on their side and then they stuck like one of those reflectors on a stake i'm like guys quit marking it to show it where you're at sure. you know like keep it clean keep it simple as long as you kind of keep to yourself and don't right. don't harm the area around you i think you're gonna find yourselves a nice place to hang out yeah. w- without being bothered but i think and I think probably most of the de- sheriff deputies don't want to do that. But if they're commanded to, they're probably going to follow their orders. But, you know, that to me doesn't feel like a solution that's going to help anything or anyone for that matter. And and so you guys have a different approach. I mean, you want to try to work with the community partners to say, what are some options and what can we do? And specifically when your officers, I mean, you guys see more of it maybe even than like people that work in the churches and, and centers do because you guys are coming across these people all over town and your hearts have got to break for it just like mine does or anyone else's does. Like you want to find a solution. You want to find the answer. Yeah. And we all know there isn't the answer. And so the answer is 
all these people coming together instead of you doing your little thing and you doing your little thing and me doing my little thing how can we partner together and Absolutely. work it out and that has always been my frustration with yeah. homelessness is um there's a lot of different groups out there that do really good things yeah um but they kind of want they to keep it yeah they kind of want to keep it to themselves and i I've always felt like if if you can pool those resources and make sure people understand you know some of them overlap sure but some of them have very unique yeah um situations that that can help in a different way and um well i mean like even lawrence is one of the guys that uh he's kind of like he has a, a ministry he calls it food and fellowship but yeah. but his whole goal is he would rather work he'd rather um identify a couple individuals who maybe are ready for like for some change some positive change in their life yeah. and he'll try to help get them there but then there's only so much that he can do but by the time they're ready you know maybe they need to get cleaned up well we can send them over to our friends at at the thrift shop on north avenue right. that'll give them some clothes we can send them to Ernest to get a haircut you know they can get a shower over at healing hearts yeah they got to travel around a little bit but then we got them ready now there's people that'll help them with the resume we can get them connected with like antoine or somebody at career source that'll get sure. them you know actually into a job they'll provide job training um career source is a kind of one of those things that i think is underutilized where they actually train people and place them in a, a job and they actually pay their salary for i think it's like 180 hours or 160 hours their first like their first few weeks in that job right. is actually paid for through career source and and their training is ongoing through that time and so that's providing a service to that business but it's also giving somebody that opportunity to have that job and get their hand up yeah and that's way better than a thousand handouts you know no and and, and i totally understand what you're saying but um obviously we know when we're talking about homelessness we're talking about um substance abuse yeah. alcoholism oh, mental health and you know when you're preparing you're trying to get someone prepared to get out and get a job and housing you got to deal with those other things yeah too, absolutely though. if they yeah. don't if they don't have those basic abilities those functions then it's hard for them to get a job and to so the alternative is you know living on the streets living on the streets petty petty crime right you know one of the things that that I had heard, and I don't have any statistics on this whatsoever. I uh, I'll listen to statistics and then forget them immediately, and just kind of remember the idea behind them. And that's, you know, that there was um, on days when there's not meal services for the homeless population, whether it's a cooked meal or a sandwich meal or a food pantry that's open of some kind. Um, on those days, maybe it's a lot of times it's on the weekends. No, none of these groups are active. Um, that's where like petty theft and like the little convenience stores and grocery stores are just food items happens it's like a spike in that yeah. because they're like well i'm hungry and i'm going to eat and i don't have any money right. and so it's like what are some of the things that we can all work on you know there might be somebody that's like okay well i don't have the time maybe to spend a day at healing hearts cafe or working at this right. or that group um but yet you know maybe there's a church and i know there are that they go down to zephyr park and they have a meal that's available Right. And, you know, that's going to help prevent somebody from, I'm not saying that they have to, but feeling like they have to go steal something to feed their stomach, right. you know. And they might have some other bad choices that they made, whether it's a substance or something like that. Right. That if they would get off of that, they could, yeah. you know. But 
let's work on that once we get some food in their stomach sure. you know yep and 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 truthfully i think you're right but i think there are some individuals that would choose to oh, yeah whether Stay there. drink or or you know abuse um narcotics right. overeating yeah um and, and that's i think that's the biggest challenge in homelessness is you know how do you get past those issues to get people homeless into a normal <laughs> you know yeah societal function you know work pay the bills some and, places to, to and it is tough i mean yeah. it is tough you know uh so one of the other things that i'm able to work in is is we've got a me and another pastor in town have a small lawn company uh, lawn and landscaping and we've hired a lot of people that i probably i probably like don't pay attention to this um i don't you know like if people knew like oh this is who you're putting out on my yard you know right. like wow that's their history and i'm not talking like violent offenses sure. and stuff but people that that do have struggles with substance abuse and things like that right. and i tell them like i'm not drug testing you um i don't tell them i don't background check them but i don't really do that right. Look, I can get a read on, like, I can get a read on them. I know. Sure. And you got to be honest. Like, by the time somebody says, hey, you know, I think I'm going to pick up a, a weed eater and carry that for eight hours out in 100-degree heat, they probably don't have a ton of options. Correct. And so I'm not – we've had some really good folks that are real clean, but, I mean, there's a good chance that they've got some reason that they don't have a different job that's maybe not as just backbreakingly intensely hot and, and tiring. But, you know, we've had a couple people that we've – poured into their lives and tried to help them and tried to help them see progress in their mm -hmm. lives only to have them regress i mean we had this one it, it was this this lady that was working with us and she was she was a good worker um and then we wouldn't see her for a couple of days and um and then uh then she ended up in the hospital and i don't know if it was an interaction that from a drug that she took or, or if it was an actual medical thing that happened but um she never came back to work after that you know, I mean, well, one time she was actually in the hospital once and came back to work. The second time she never came back. And I have a feeling she probably got maybe given prescriptions while she was there and then it got her back onto that. I don't really know. I, right. I bumped into her one time since then and she seemed okay. Um, but yet at the same time, it's like that's a hard, hard thing to get away from, you know, once that's part of your life. So with her, I think she didn't necessarily want to stay in substance abuse, but I think it was just one of those things that just kept knocking on her door all the time. And, and she right. didn't have enough support and, and the house she lived in i think you're familiar with it down there on the south end of town where we had another situation with the the um the guy that owned the house was trying to get it yeah. cleaned up she yep. lived in that house okay i'm not trying to share too much about yeah, it but no, you're familiar I, I, with I know it and, and so you know the struggle yep. of where she lived Absolutely. and everything yep. and and it's like there's only so much that could happen at that point right and it just it's like it'd be easy for us to all kind of throw up our hands when we get those situations and say well, it's hopeless. So, but it's not, and we're going to find those folks, those individuals that that do want to get better, and they just don't know how to. Correct. And so that's worth our time and effort, isn't it? I mean, it really is. I think so. And and who better than the individuals that have the most stake? It's people in the community. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, isn't that something though? Like you, if you live here. You know, not just maybe like um, transient for a couple of years or a year or less. Like if you actually are putting down roots in this community, you have a vested interest. Even even if you don't care about people, you know, even if you just have a cold heart towards individuals and their plight, right. you still have a vested interest to see this homelessness issue solved. Sure. And so people would even get that, even with the 
total lack of compassion if they would get that understanding that you know because we deal with the the nimby situation not in my backyard right and if people would just tone that down about 90 percent you know like yeah and 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 truthfully that mentality um kind of when i say homelessness is not a police issue i mean that um not so much hey we don't want to deal with it is we shouldn't be the only one forced to deal with it yes it's it's a community effort to help combat that issue um and of course you're asked by you know folks in city government you know they're like hey we've got this issue can you fix it correct and and that's not blaming them on anything but it's like the the city government isn't to the best of my knowledge creating a a bureau or a department or a liaison that's fixing that they're simply saying hey here you go and and you're like right. well we can't does we can't address all these things right at least i mean maybe with resource officers and funding and programs you could but is that really what the police force should be tasked with and that's why we have these community partners yeah <laughs> and truthfully because i think you are talking about um you know there is a cost involved and and that's some of the things that we talk about is you know lack of resources yeah. um and that has always been some of my frustration um, with um, homelessness on, particularly on the east side of the county. Is yeah, East Pasco County is notoriously bad for right. services. So, um, I mean, do we sit around and wait for the resources to come? Right. No, I mean, I think you have to, as a community leader, I think you have to step up and get <laughs> the resources here. You know, un- make people understand the importance of having them here. Uh, why do you need them? Um, you know, and I, I don't, with all of our growth here in Zephyr Hills over the last, you know, several years, um, you know, I, I don't think that it takes, you know, a whole lot of intelligence to understand that, you know, with growth becomes additional problems. Yeah. Um, and I promise you, we are not the only community that's facing homelessness no. issues. No. Um and isn't one of the concerns that people have, whether it's founded or not, they're concerned that if we if we have too many services that we'll actually start attracting more sure. homeless people over. And sure. maybe that's true, but wouldn't that be cool if we were so good at, at helping solve the issue that it that we that we, yeah. we sourced in more people and right. and actually helped clean them up and send them out. I mean, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, it's a it's a tricky topic. Yeah. Um and, and you're right. I, I think you know, certainly, probably a small percentage of homeless um, will take advantage of the resources that are here. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that's where, um, you know, as a community, we, we identify those people and we recognize that they're they're not going to seek help. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean you give up either. And, and that's, you're right. And that's where um, our friend Don Anderson at the Homeless Coalition right. in Pasco County has said, you know, there's times where relocating is the best thing for that person sure. and the community. Correct. Because they might have family somewhere like maybe, you know, oh, up in Pensacola or over in Georgia or wherever, right. even farther than that. And if we can get the funds for a bus ticket for yeah. them to get them there, if, you know, we check some references and make sure yeah. they have, you know, that, that uh, help that resource or that person there that they could that will take care of them maybe that's what it takes to get this person you know onto a good path and so that might be the best thing we can do for them and the community is is actually ship them out somewhere else but that's not always the answer and and as we've seen a lot of homeless have an income 
Yeah. It's not enough to pay the high rent or high right. mortgage. Well, more so. more likely than not, they'd have something. And it's usually sure. some kind of, you know, SNAP benefits or food stamps, as they used to be called. Right. And, like, probably a um, disability, in you know, check, which is right. honestly like seven to 800 bucks at the most. Yeah. And nobody, you can't even put four people making that much living in a place yeah. and live off of it. Right. And, and we've seen, in, you know, especially... With the way housing market prices are up, rent prices are up, and and one of the things that's happened, and you, I mean, know you're aware of this, but um, you know, one of the things that's happened is people, you know, that live in a rental house or a rental unit, their landlord that owned it, maybe they've had it for ten or fifteen years, and it's practically paid off or paid right. for, but now they realize they can sell it for twice what it was worth five yeah. years ago, and so they say, hey, you know what, I'm tired, I made my money back two times over now and now if i can sell it yeah. i can either invest this in something else or i can buy my retirement home or whatever right. and that's not necessarily heartless on their part but yeah. the end effect is somebody else buys it the rent goes double and now right. those tenants are kicked out or somebody bought it that wants to move into it and right. so it's no longer a rental unit Correct. a ton of different reasons but that's one of the recent i think spikes and so a lot of these folks that we're seeing now that are coming at least knocking on our door here at the church or uh, my wife works over at the samaritan project right. and and she gets a lot of this is people that are living out of their vehicles and yeah. you know they're skipping from parking lot to parking lot trying to stay under the radar not get kicked out or, or whatever but you know they have a car they're trying to keep it running and keep insurance on it so they don't get in trouble that way yep. but they're all their belongings they can handle are in there because they can't afford a roof like they used to just a few Absolutely. months ago yeah it's tough i mean where our solution there is we've got to come up with new solutions that we don't even know yet right. and and that's the importance of coming together as community yeah. is to share those ideas yeah somebody's going to come up with something that <laughs> you know we're just going to say yeah i think that's that's the idea that's going to help yeah um or several ideas or we realize it's not going to work you know but not talking about it and not putting things into action don't doesn't help it either yeah so yeah and so we've got to ask some difficult questions i think um probably some of those questions you know are going to be uncomfortable for um people in city government or city council to answer and and i understand that there would be a desire not to have some conversations in the public forum you know like i've been to city council meetings where i'm just laughing i'm like right buddy you're not you know somebody that signed up to speak or something I'm like i hear you but this is not where you're going to get resolution to this particular issue sure and so i think i don't even know if if the city government has the right vehicle and i'm not just talking zephyr hills but any community i don't know if they have the right vehicle to have those conversations if maybe we've got to address it in a new way and say all right how can we sit down and collaborate together um you know things like uh so you and i have talked before about um what I called affordable housing. And I realized that's kind of like a buzzword, right. you know, for law yeah. enforcement, especially because when you hear community or uh, affordable housing, you hear like um, section eight communities and things like that. And you know, that was it like 80 or 90% of your calls for domestic and theft yeah, and things uh, like that. But at the same time, obviously we know that it's necessary. Yeah. So oh, yeah, but yeah, you're right. Um, and when, when yeah. I say when I say affordable housing, I just simply think housing that people can afford. Sure. And so it's like, why are, you know, we're building houses that are $400,000. And I'm looking at that. I'm Correct. like, that's, that's, you know, but taxes, insurance, you know, proper mortgage insurance, all that stuff. 
you know, rates are climbing back up again. Yeah. You're looking at two grand a month before you've even turned utilities on oh, yeah. or, or bought groceries or paid for your kids' right. needs or whatever. So I'm like, man, you know, common folks can't afford that. Wages right. haven't gone up that much and groceries are 50 bucks a week more than they used Absolutely. to be. It's like you just can't do it. And so we've got to we got to be willing to approve housing, uh, you know, units and developments that are. And I, under, I know the era of $170,000 quote-unquote starter home is gone at this point. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. But, like, what about multi, you know, maybe quadplexes, things like that that, that can be purchased or rented a lot more affordably than what right. we're building right now. But that's not as, um, and I don't want to, I've got the people that run the community, I, I consider them friends. I'm not saying that they're enemies, but they've got to, I think, sometimes pull back a little bit from, some of the responsibilities of governing a community a certain way and say, how can we um, address this in a way that's beneficial to all of our citizens and not just like the targeted ones that are moving in. And and I don't think that, that they're coming at it with a bad heart or intention at all. I don't see that at all. Um, but I think that from my perspective, what I see, the phone calls that I get all the time, the ones that break my heart when somebody's saying, I, I lost my place to stay, I lost this, I was staying in a camper in a 55 and up place but i you know we got sick and we couldn't afford the lot rent and they kicked us out now right. i own a camper and you know there's a couple of them that i know and you probably run into them that are around town they they're pulling this big fifth wheel all over town just yeah. going from lot to lot hoping to stay somewhere well i think that, i don't know their situation i haven't talked with them sure but, but i think that's, that's the common. difference and, I, and i'm again i'm not um placing blame anywhere yeah. but um police officers run into those situations yeah. they see um the struggles that um people are going through homelessness so um i think unless you really see it mm -hmm. with your own eyes and your own ears sometimes it's hard to understand well that's back to that empathy thing yeah you know yeah so um and and how do you convince it's uncomfortable right yeah. so how yeah. do you how do you take the general public and and put them in a generally uncomfortable situation yeah um well you guys do ride-alongs right we do we do <laughs> i mean that yeah. that can help yeah I mean, absolutely so if somebody's sitting here whether they're critical of this case this is the situation that society is in right or even critical of maybe the police force just because they they watch their tv too much and see yeah. the headlines from other parts of the country yeah you know a ride-along might be might help them you know i will say that you know the cop shows are getting a little <laughs> bit more you know a better idea of how police work yeah actually works when mm -hmm. you're talking about technology and stuff yeah. like that but um yeah it hurts us because yeah. <laughs> um but we don't have our own lab at the police department to process that piece of evidence in two minutes or listen, less. Listen, this is so, one of my things, like, when they're solving a murder or a big crime in, like, a few hours or a day, I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. Like, right. those things take weeks and months, could, you know, yes. potentially, I mean, depending yeah. on the stuff. I give my wife a hard time because she gets up early and watches reruns of Matlock. <laughs> and, and I get it. Like, it was fun. But right. they, they, were, they had this trial where he went to trial like three days. Like, they were in trial proceedings. And then they had the funeral for the victim during right. that. I'm like, no, no way. Right. You wouldn't even have your lawyer figured out by that time, <laughs> right. you know. So, and she knows that. But it's right. just like, why did they write a show like this? Why did they pass that off as if it could even be close to reality? To fit it in 30 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so these TV shows, they do that too. And, right. and it's like, 
don't believe it just because it's on the internet or on a TV show. Right. Like, have some have some reality in your thinking. You know, yeah. have a little common sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, it, you bring up a good point, right? So um, let's say somebody might express some displeasure with the police, yeah. right? So sometimes the best way to um, kind of help them understand mm -hmm. what we go through on a daily basis is for them to see what we did. Yeah. Um, and, and I have always encouraged people to do ride-alongs mm -hmm. um, because you just never know in a day-to-day -day interaction what a police officer has gone through. Yeah. Um, and when they get to you, they may have had to deal with two or three pretty traumatic incidents. Sure. Um, and we are all human, you know, sure. when it comes to, I mean, you might be the best at, at trying to work with empathy or respect or right. dignity and all those things, get, treating people's dignity. But you might have had, you know, four absolute jerks or whatever, sure. you know, the last, and, and it just gets to you. I mean, right. look, I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to be nice and loving and kind all right. the time, right? And then... But, I mean, there might have been something like my kid was a brat getting ready and I was in a hurry to my first meeting and she made me late for it and that sets me off. And, you know, then I get a text message from somebody that's not happy or somebody's lawn that didn't get cut right or whatever in the business that I run. And I'm like, and then somebody gets the brunt of that and I got to go back and apologize. But, you know, you guys don't, you don't get given that same grace sometimes, right. you know. Um, so, yeah, that's tough, isn't it? I mean, that's hard to, it's like it takes extra time to um undo anything or, or work you know kind sure. of overcome any bad examples plus you don't know that person's experience prior experience that's with true. law enforcement yeah, they may true. have gone into that interaction Pre kind of a, yeah, yeah. probably already kind of determining how yeah. it's going to go down so they put up a defense yeah automatically yeah. well we see this on like youtube videos right. that are like some of those people are just they're they're trying to get a reaction out of an officer. Sure. And you know there's people, I mean, I would guess there's people that start out any interaction with the police with an attitude just right. because. Yeah, um, but again, it's always about um, our our first contact. Yeah. How do we, how do we interact with them? Yeah. Um, you know, it's easy when somebody is in a defensive mode to, and you can usually see it in their mm -hmm. body language, uh, so it's easy to go up there and make contact with someone and you know they're already upset. Um, so your defense goes up. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, those are some of the things that we're constantly learning as law enforcement officers to de-escalate situations is, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not going to raise my level sure. to pass theirs yeah. because you already yeah. know they're here. So, well, and even simple things, I mean, I'm not saying any of your officers do this, but like, you know, if you feel, you know, every officer deserves to go home to their family at the end of the day. Absolutely. Period. Sure. Um, you know, and so, you know, if they were in a situation where they might have felt threatened by somebody, and you know, because you, you're stepping into stuff, you don't know what's going to happen. And so, you know, if you unsnap, whether it's a pepper, do you guys do pepper spray? Do you have that? Um, no, no, we may bring it back. Yeah, okay. yes. But I mean, like, you know, you've got, you got the, you know, tasers or stun right. guns or something, you know, and see whether it was that or a, or a sidearm or whatever it might be, you know, if right. you were unsnapped just because you need to be ready for that, sure. even that could be perceived as threatening Absolutely. by somebody. Yep. And so it's like what you're saying, you know, it kind of makes sense. You don't want to go, you don't want to go like beyond 
what their level is, you know, of in that situation, you know, if you, cause you might be considered as the one that escalated it, even though sure. you were just right. wanting to go home to your family that night, right. which is understandable, sure. you know, for sure. You know, when we talk about the body cameras, right. So even, oh, yeah, body... like even turning those on, cause I mean, those aren't running constantly, right. They have to activate. Yeah. You have to activate them. Yeah. Um, and so that can be considered a, a move by someone almost. But at the same time, yes, they've been great. They've been great yeah. about capturing um, interactions, mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't always tell the whole story. For sure. So, um, you know, that's just, that's what is becoming so important in in the line of work is, yeah, using all those two tools to your advantage, but understanding that, you know, talking is really the best way to keep things yeah. from getting out of out of hand. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some individuals. There's nothing you're going to be able to say. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, uh, I will say I've I have watched body camera videos, <laughs> and um, our officers are extremely patient. Probably more patient than I would be. So, uh, so I give them a lot of uh, credit for that. Yeah. So one other thing that I think, and and I, you know, hopefully we'll continue this another time yeah. um but one of the things i want to talk about for a few minutes that's just um an experience that i had that was a really good one with um your police force and and i think we had some dade city officers maybe some pasco sheriffs too was um and i don't remember how long ago it was but sometime after um after george floyd was killed and and the country was in a justifiable uproar and i think there was a lot of things that were simmering or boiling and that was like our breaking point where a lot of people said okay I, I can't just ignore this or think that it's somebody else's problem anymore. Right. And so we had, um, you know, we saw all over the country, some were protests, some were rallies, some were just downright riots. And I'm not interested in talking whether those were good or bad, but that was what was going on in our country. And sure. we all remember that. Um, so when it came to Zephyr Hills, there were some people that said, we want to have an event. And we ended up calling it a unity rally. And I say we, I wasn't part of, uh, running it, but I was invited and was glad to be there. Right. Uh, you and your officers were there serving people, which is part of your thing, right. you know, yeah. handing out water, handing out masks. That was at the beginning of COVID, you know, fairly early yeah. in that. So handing out masks to people who we were out in Zephyr Park. And it was just kind of funny because a few people had some signs. They're like, you know, we need to change now and this and that. Sure. And it's like, I wanted to say, well, we are already doing that. And I understand their sentiment goes for perhaps their, you know, their, um, their minority brethren and sisters around Absolutely. the country. Sure. And I get the, the sentiment that's like, they're, they're feeling other people's pain. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying that, um, that everybody has an easy road or an easy journey in right. our community. Um, there, there was a, a video that was produced a couple years back um, when Steve Spina was the city manager and, and he had, I think, helped make that happen. And it was, yes. it's I think it's still on the City of Zephyr Hills website. It's featured so. there, yeah. but it's, mm -hmm. uh, what is it called? It, uh, like African-American in Zephyr Hills being, I forget the title of it, but it's basically like the journey, you know, of different African-Americans in Zephyr Hills yeah. over time right. and some of the struggles they had gone through and some of the things that have improved. And some of the insane things like the opposition to renaming Sixth Avenue as Martin right. Luther King Jr. Sure. And it's like, why are we worried about this? You know, and it was a, a regional news item on the nightly news. And it's like, and so it's a very good video. I'll, I'll actually throw a link to it in the notes for this yeah. show. Um, it, it was it was eye opening for me, too. 
and and it actually put a a desire in my heart to reach out to some of the um, ethnic churches in our community. Yep. And I tried to reach out to several of them, but again, with COVID, what it was, and not having, they weren't having in-person services yep. and all that. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I'm like, okay, I need to renew that because I was dead set determined that I was going to be part of the people that like bridged that gap, you yep. know, and that I would use whatever resources I had, my church, my position, whatever it is to see that healing happen. Um, but I remember that unity rally you know, just how neat it was to see the interaction of our officers, um, which, again, we already talked about. It's you've got a very racially diverse police force. And so, you know, you guys have already tried to figure out. I'm sure it's an ongoing thing, but trying to figure out how to have, um, you know, unity within the force. But sure. I saw it on display as you guys actually cared for people in our community that were hurting. I mean, these are people that carry pain and, and, and things that they've suffered through or seen others suffer through and is a very real um in their mind a, a, a potential threat that they might incur someday like if it could happen to george floyd it could happen to me absolutely and i think you guys understand that like i think you understand that and that's something that you have tried to instill in your your officers yeah and you know i think what what you saw that day um what was great in my opinion is that um yeah i think um the african-american community was hurting and they wanted a voice yeah um but they came to us and said hey we want to do this um we want to let you know yeah they said that's great we're gonna help you <laughs> they didn't did they expect that or not I don't know if they did or not, okay. but the fact that they had enough respect yeah. to say, hey, you know what, um, I'm letting you know yeah, because we don't want things to get out of hand. Um, right. and, and we partnered with them. In my yes. opinion, we said, oh, absolutely. Um, we'll do everything we can to make sure that that incident, that, that um, event is safe. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and part of that was keeping, because there was a lot of whether, it, I don't even know if whether it was any bit true or not but that there was groups that were busing in from other cities sure to instigate problems right. and so that was whether that was a real or perceived threat i don't know right. but you guys were oh, ensuring so. that that wasn't going to happen here yeah absolutely so it was going to be a positive and peaceful event yeah it was a real threat and um i think the organizers um did an, an outstanding job of yeah. recognizing uh, they don't want, don't want that they didn't want it either because they right. knew that that's counterproductive to what right. they're actually trying to do yeah um but look, you know, you know, we, I've, I've been asked a lot about, you know, what, what do you do in your community to um, establish those relationships? Well, first of all, that's ongoing. Yeah. Um, but second, it's always going back to the mission. Um, you know, I've got 20 years of building relationships in this community and um they don't I, I don't think you ever um you don't forget about that stuff um in the best i, I don't want to say i uh, giving advice to any other law enforcement agency but really the best i think you have some to give <laughs> uh, is really it's you're always building those relationships and it's not just 
oh yes it's community meetings and, and stuff like that it's about again treating people with dignity and respect if you if you focus on that um and don't get me wrong there we're not immune to having a situation yeah. like george floyd yeah um but you know what um i feel at least somewhat comfortable that if we did have that situation um the community trusts me yeah. to take the appropriate action and i trust the community to come to me and tell me that they're not happy yeah and let's fix it together um and, and, and you've taken steps before that though i mean i say before that like you've taken steps to avoid that you right. know as far as who you hire what what you instill in them you've taken steps in in ongoing trainings yes and in in a different initiatives that that the police department takes part in yeah. to ensure that as much as possible you won't have an officer that's willing to do that yeah we were um it, you know interestingly enough before george floyd um we were actually um in fact captain roberts was the one that was actually doing the training for us was yeah. doing um de-escalation training yeah. um before that even uh before george floyd even happened um so we were kind of already practicing some of those, um, you know, techniques mm -hmm. um, because we thought that it was important to how we wanted to police work. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I'm not saying I, you know, came up with um, a, a new idea. I just felt like it was important to our agency. Sure. Um, and heck, I wasn't even chief at the time. I just said, you know, um chief shears and i said this is something that's going to be important um and you know we still to this day we we take that as um very important to what we're trying to do um we we teach it in-house yeah um we have um subject matter experts that are teaching it oh that's cool so so like you basically saw this and you said there's not really a necessarily an, an, at least maybe an easily approachable comprehensive program for what we right. need so we're going to create it correct i get that i mean right. i like writing curriculum or things that we're going to do here in our church right and i'm i do stuff like churches you know 10 or 20 times our size start doing i'm like yeah. well i don't it's not that i don't trust what's out there but i want to customize something to what we need yeah and that's so i'm just i'll take the time and write it that's exactly why i wanted to do it in-house because um when it's when you're using someone else's curriculum you don't you don't control the content yeah you know um but when you're doing it with your own people your your own officers your own staff um you have control over what's being taught and what and customizing it to what you're trying to do um and you know unfortunately you know captain's no longer with us but he was just absolutely dynamic at it now he's perfect um, i actually didn't know that so what's he up to now yeah, so he took another job okay. uh, with another agency, okay. and, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity for him. Because he'd been it. around a long time, too, yeah, here. Yeah, he grew up here, so right. obviously he's... He was coaching over the yeah, high school and everything. Lots so. of community connections. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, sorry to see him go. For sure. I loved him. How long that. ago did that happen? Man, it's been a few months. Okay, so, all right. Yeah. yeah. Somehow I missed that. I, I don't... I stay off, like, the community yeah. <laughs> Facebook page. And yeah. the only time I find out about news is when somebody tells me or I see some memes on Facebook right. when I'm looking for memes to make me laugh. And I'm like, wait a minute, what just happened? You yeah. know, like, 
Uh, apparently, the Supreme Court's working on Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I found out by a few angry tweets or yeah. somebody said, I was like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? You know, so then I then I look it up by news sources that might have some actual news, right. and not just opinions. So I actually get a lot of my news from memes. <laughs> like, that sounds terrible, but I, right. I, memes will actually keep you um, somewhat informed about what's happening. Absolutely. Then you can go and dig into yeah, it. Because you'll like, see it and you'll be like, what are they talking about? I mean, the night after that, whatever, I don't even care about the award shows, but Oscars or whatever right. it is, the night after that, the, the slap happened, right. I woke up that morning, I don't care anything about that show, and I woke up, though, and I see these memes about Chris Rock, and yeah. I'm like, what's happening? And so I started looking it up, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's, right. that's huge, you know, and then yeah. the world was, you know, just talking about it for, it seemed like, three days about yeah. one actor slapping another, and what, who would have thought we'd get that much airplay off of it, but... I wouldn't have caught that on the news or anything. I caught it from a meme. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I get my news these days. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think that's that's the uh, the curse or the beauty of social media. So whichever way you want. Yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Well, at least we're able to like make light of it. You know, have a little humor about sure. it first, but then right. you know, it also it, it really drives you into the like the the nitty gritty of like, wait a minute. So what's what's at stake with one? a-lister slapping another one sure really unprovoked you know who was doing his i mean not to get into the whole thing but chris rock was doing the job he was hired to do right you know and so it's like and if you want to say oh well you know um you know he shouldn't have made fun of her for having a disease like well you could know she had a disease you could understand will smith's person all of it you know i get all of it and so so, and and maybe that's something too is like we've got to be willing to um agree or not whether they're right or wrong we've got to be able to at least understand someone's perspective another sure. person and i think once we do that um once we take the effort to actually say like well why would you even think that that was okay to do or why would you right. think that that was noble to do because as as firm as you might be in like the chris rock camp there's a lot of people who are like yeah he's defending his family he's standing up sure it's like okay you know um like i i don't i don't see that as my point of view on it and yet i can see how that's something that you know there's others that don't stand up at all for their family maybe somebody like you were talking about somebody's prior um experiences maybe whether it was law enforcement or homelessness or whatever it might have been that we talked about um somebody um somebody might have had a father that never stood up for them yeah you know they never had anybody defend them for anything and they saw that as like a knight in shining armor. Sure. And it's like, okay, that's a different perspective that I don't necessarily agree with. Right. But at least I don't just write off another human being because Absolutely. of their opinion on it. That's why well, I, I've been, we have in this world, you know? I'll be honest with you. Law enforcement has taught me that, but that's why I try not to even give opinions because you don't know all the facts. Yeah. And I haven't asked you for too many opinions because I don't... Right. At the end of the day, that's not going to help much. I'm, no. I just want to know your experiences, your expertise. Right. And and that's kind of what I try to do with this podcast is it's like, um, I didn't say, you know, we're talking about riots, George Floyd, things like that. Right. Um, I'm not sharing my opinion. You know, I mean, maybe I let on a little bit, but I was, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to find out yours either on all of those situations. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so much. But do you treat people with dignity and respect? Do you, do you try to um, have empathy in those that you live with? You know, these are things that whether you're on the Zephyr Hills Police Department force or anything else in life, Absolutely. those are things that we should all have more of in our life. Well, and, and truly, uh, I try to carry that same <laughs> mission in my personal life. Yeah, yeah. Um, It'll carry you far. I mean, 
carry that in the door when you get home. Don't sure. leave it in. Don't leave it in your. Uh, you know. Right. On your very beautiful new uh, unmarked, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thing looks sharp, man. Yeah, thank you. It uh, does. So thanks, City of Zephyr Hills. You know, yes, it, it's not just uh, city city works, public works that gets new trucks. You, get, you got <laughs> Don't tell Shane that. Oh uh, man, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, being chief, I should have some perk, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's good. So I won't I won't post a picture of it right now. Right, <laughs> yeah, we don't need people like, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, but. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. I seen it the other day. I was like, hey, is that? Oh, nice. You know, and then I think uh, I, I waved one day driving past, and then I realized it was, uh, I think Pasco Sheriff's got a couple that look that are very similar. Oh, they might, yeah. So, I mean, again, police right. cars are all kind of the Yeah, limited so. number of uh, yeah. or manufacturers that have um, yeah. interceptor packages, police packages, yeah. stuff like that. But, yeah. Oh, man. What, what was it like the good old days where everything was like Crown Vicks and Caprice Classics? And, I tell you what, you know I, what? I, I never... Uh, yeah, I, my law enforcement career doesn't stem back to the well, Capri. They had Crown Vicks, though. But yeah, I love the Crown Vicks. Oh man, yeah. Uh, really, a classic police car, um, terrible, um, <laughs> and, yeah. and and really, um, you know, other than the fact that you know, of course, um, sedans these days don't carry a lot. Right. Um, it was the perfect police vehicle. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but just like everything else, the good stuff gets phased out. Get try <laughs> does, something new. Does is it uh, is it somewhere in the city that they have one, or is it some is it privately owned? Is like an old uh, like Caprice, like an old ZPD. Yeah, Caprice. We, we actually that car was driven by Chief Shears. Okay. So um, a and I'll, I'll, forgive me, I don't remember who it was, but someone locally said, you know what, uh, we're gonna fix it up. Okay. And we're gonna make it look like um, like when it was in yeah, when it was new. Uh, and they did. So we've kept that, and we bring it. To, okay. Yeah, I've seen it in a couple of shows and things. Car shows, car shows and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, um, got the old uh, the chrome with the black. Oh yeah. There was like you gotta <laughs> roll the window down. <laughs> well, like yeah. well, I mean, there's just little details. I, so I grew up outside of Flint, Michigan, and it was like General Motors. Everything yep. was down in Dearborn. You got you know Ford Motor Company, Chrysler is around there somewhere. They had their big headquarters building. You know, you'd see them. But in Flint, it was like everybody either worked for general motors or one of their suppliers that built parts for them so anyway i was like this um gm car nerd you know just growing up because it was just it was life you know right so i to this day i can still see cars from like the 80s or early 90s it and i'll and I just know, like, I don't even know why I know, but some little detail about it. I'm like, oh, well, that was a such and such year. That was when they did this. And I'm right. like, how do I remember this stuff? This useless knowledge. But I remember, like, you know, throughout the years, there's different little things that, that always, like, you can do an unmarked one, but there's little tells yeah. that are still like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a police package. So Absolutely. Somebody somebody that's been on the wrong side of yeah. minor police uh, interaction like a time or two that worked yeah. for me was... Um, he told me that the like the um, the white like the ex or explorer ones, they don't have any the little roof bars that the roof rack would mount to. Right. They're shaved down. There's it's just flat all the way across the top. I was like, oh my goodness. So you can they can unmark it, but you can sure. still tell. And then yeah, there's always some sort of like yeah. ghost image there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then there's a. Uh, then I saw one that like Ford has a package now for regular consumers that has that too. Yeah. Somebody's like, "Hey, that looks cool. That, you know, smooth like that. Why can't we get those?" So I guess they made it available. But you know, it's like um, 
uh, around when I lived up in Tennessee, they started having a ton of just regular civilian vehicles that they would deck out with hidden lights, you know, behind grills and in the, yep. you know, but you couldn't tell them. And I was looking for them because back then I drove way too fast. Like I was, so I was always trying to avoid tickets by slowing down when I would see a cop, you know, that, that whole game. And I got broken to that when I moved to Zephyr Hills, by the way, because it's like everywhere it's 30 miles an hour. Yeah, so you might as well right. just slow it down. Yes. And you're going to find... You're going to find a um, perhaps one of our seasonal citizens <laughs> that comes down in the wintertime that is not in a hurry. And it's best to go slow because they're probably going to pull out in front of you at some point. So you just want to keep an eye out. So I haven't gotten uh, a ticket in many a year. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I try to live on you. the good side yeah. of the law. But... Yeah, the unfortunate part is, you and, know, and I, mean, I won't there's... call you if right. I do get pulled over. I won't say, "Hey, I'm going to call the chief." You know, I won't. Well, I I'm not that, that guy. Too. I might you call know. you later. I might call you later and say, "Hey, what can I do to get out of this?" You know, can I do some community service? Uh, can Can the officer not show up to the court that day? You know, like. Uh... Yeah, sometimes name dropping the chief is going to work against you. you yeah, exactly. Like he's like, "No, definitely write him up." Like he knows better, and he did it anyway. Oh man, I did. Uh, I did notice that. Um, um, I let my uh, truck truck tags go expired. Like I haven't been driving it very much. I've got a Jeep and I've been driving that. And I was like, I went out to my truck. I was like, oh my goodness, I forgot all about those. I really got to get up to Day City and renew those. You know. So. Well, when I worked patrol, that was my bread and butter. I always looked for expired tags. Oh yeah. Um, you gotta have like an eagle eye for that too. I, well, I used to. I, not so much <laughs> Nothing anymore. Now, but yeah. um, but, oh, you see, uh, yeah. see my my readers. Yeah. You know, I've been using these lately for reading stuff because I got them for like the blue light blocker, right? Like for the phones yeah. and computer screens. And then I was looking for those, and I was like, these had a magnification. I'm like, oh, I don't have to hold stuff out here to read it anymore. I can actually see. So, yeah, I've been doing that, <laughs> so I'm feeling it. I used to be able to see them actually traveling if i was stationary and they're traveling by me at 30 miles per hour i could tell i could see it but wow you know 20 years later what what are what are some of the um what are some of the biggest tricks you've seen people try to pull to like hide that because i've got a couple that i've done back in the day when i was like broke and couldn't afford to renew it and would just try to drive um well i don't know if they necessarily try to hide it but you know um I, i think it's common to you know say hey you know i forgot about it yeah. or hey didn't get the notice right um you had a birthday i mean right you know. i know but you know <laughs> yeah people become accustomed to that notice sure, sure. um and i i think well as that as that judge told me once ignorance of the law does not excuse breaking it <laughs> no and that is the truth and that i would say the same thing but yeah. at the same time i think we've all been guilty at some point or another oh, yeah. of you know, forgetting about those things. Well, um, shoot, I had uh, sat down to breakfast at the uh, Chamber of Commerce breakfast um, a while back with uh, the guy that was a warden at the prison, uh, uh, Hoskins. And we were sitting there at the table and we were talking and, and he was talking about, um, and, and it's really interesting the way he approaches, you know, being the warden at the prison um, at the Correctional Institute. And, and the one that we've got down the road here is a, I think, I don't know if they call it geriatric, but it's an elderly population. Right. And so... Um, so he's got a, you know, a little bit more interesting than some of the, what we might think we're familiar with on TV or whatever, what a prison looks like. But he was talking about some of the compassion in which he treats people and the, the honor that he treats people with. And, you know, he said, when it comes down to it, we've all committed felonies. We just haven't all gotten caught. And I thought, 
huh, okay. So I actually looked up, like, I mean, I what are, far, I'm, like but... I'm like, well, what are common felonies? <laughs> so I think I actually broke, made it, did a felony yesterday. I, I was just opening my mail, and I wasn't looking at it, and I realized, like, what? This doesn't have anything to do with me. And I look and uh, somebody for else. somebody else, uh, and they, they put it in my box, and it's like, okay, you know, so I just taped it <laughs> up and put it back. But it's like, whoops, you know, that's... Uh, I mean, I didn't really do it though, you know, but yeah, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, so technically we've all committed a felony. Sure. Okay. But yeah, nobody's getting prosecuted for that, but it was just an interesting <laughs> right. thing to hear prison warden say that I'm like, right. well, if you're saying it, you know, it must be true, but yeah. And I think sometimes that gets, um, gets forgotten, yeah. you know, yeah. that, you know, again, everybody makes mistakes. Sure. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just, yeah. you know, there was... There's intent to commit crime, and then there's, you know. Well, there was times, so I was joking about it and asking, because there was times when I used to tow, uh, when when my tag was expired, I didn't have the money to do it, I was broke as could be, and I would just, I had a trailer with, like, a toolbox on the front, and so I would tow that to, like, at least make it harder to see it, you know, is what, in my opinion, I'm not saying oh, it I makes sense. That but, down. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I... Yeah. But, but, I, but when I grew up in Michigan, I had, uh, it was a winter time, and my income came from plowing snow driveways and parking lots we had this one winter where it snowed on thanksgiving the day after thanksgiving like two inches of snow just enough that like two inches was the minimum we go out right. and plow so i made some money off of that snow i'm like yeah early money for the season and then um it didn't snow again until um after new year's and so like we're counting on that for for income yeah and so i i was just so broke and so my you know january my tags came up for renewal and i just didn't have it i I borrowed money for rent. You know, it was bad. So um, I just, I took snow and I packed it on there. I took a water spray bottle to make sure it wouldn't come off. I iced it on there. I'm like, I've got to drive, but I'm not. So anyway, that's that's not anything people in Florida are going to be dealing with no. to hide their expired tag. But that was the extent that I went to, to uh, still drive my car and not get pulled over for it. But... Well, you know, and, and I will tell you that in Florida, your your tag can't be obscured. Oh yeah. Oh, so, that's the same in Michigan. Like, right. So it's still breaking the law. Correct. No matter what, I yeah. mean, you can still get pulled over. So even if you're trying to hide your decal or oh, right. whatever. So well, uh, probably if anything else, like when the rest of the car wasn't covered in snow, it ends right. up drawing attention. But I mean, I was 20 years old. Yeah. And, you know, the thinky thinky parts aren't fully developed right. yet. <laughs> and you're not worried about whether or not I'm obscuring obscuring my tag or not yeah. at that point anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. Again, it was just, you know, dumb, you know, just dumb thinking. But, but you know, that's one of the things that um, I think a lot of times, you know, when, when you get desperate for whatever the situation, um, you know, when you get desperate, that's when people start making a lot of bad choices, I think. Sure. And, and so, um, you know, I've had, I mean, like the guy that, that took that cover off of the utility box over here is like, why would somebody ride off on a bike with that thing? I don't know what he's going to do with it even, but I can just figure he's in maybe just scrap metal. He's like, well, that's stainless steel. You know, that's worth more than regular iron. I can get three bucks out of it. Right. There's there's a purpose for it. Yeah. Whether he, he was using it first to, whether to build maybe, something or, or... Or maybe it was a good, I mean, it's like a, a giant pot. I mean, it's like the size of a turkey fryer almost. Like right. maybe he's got a fire and he can cook something in it or warm something up like i don't know right you know but um desperation a lot of times leads us to make poor life choices sure. and you know sometimes um you know and perhaps this is something you guys run into i don't know but you know just kind of extending some 
some grace in one of those situations. I think of the movie Les Miserables, you know, there's a, like a play and all that stuff. But um, the movie was, you know, there was a time where, where the main character had stolen something from a priest, you know, like right. the silverware and everything. But the priest believed in him enough, said, you said in the morning you'd be a new man. Now make sure you go do it. And so right. like through the rest of the movie, he cleans up and becomes a new man. And, and I think of that, it's like that one, that one act of mercy, you know, had a big deal. Now, of course, you guys have a law that you're bound to, but there is, yeah. in certain situations, there's, there's like interpretation or there's leeway, I guess, right? Like, yeah, discretion. You know, discretion. That's what I was looking for. There's discretion sure. around certain things. I mean, right. you know. Um, one of the things that I, I wish, and I, this is from like a lay person's perspective, you know, like I'm not in your shoes. And so, um, this would be a time where I might ask your opinion. And if you want to decline from it, <laughs> that's fine. But I wish that, um, I wish that there was, from what I could see, I wish that there was a, a different, um, approach in our country to handling, um, like minor possession of drugs and things like that. And I also wish, and I, I tell my employees in the lawn business, I say, what you do after you get off work is your business. Right. At 7 a.m. when you show up to work, you need to be sober. Right. You know, I don't want anybody that's messed up running equipment on people's yards. But um, what you do in the afternoon is your business, and I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. If you're interested, I will suggest some healthy things you can do in your life. Sure. And so there's things that I believe people should do. But at the same time, I think I've seen where over time some of the ways that some of those crimes, nonviolent crimes, are prosecuted. That I think has actually torn families apart sure. more than it's helped them. Is that I, something? Like, how do you how would you look at that? Um, I think you're already starting to see that change. Yeah. To be honest with you, um, you know, law enforcement isn't necessarily um, making arrests for that stuff. Right. Um, it might be a citation instead, or. And so is that where do you have some discretion in some of those? Like, if you yes. showed up, let's say you showed up at like maybe a, a domestic disturbance or, or, or even just a routine traffic stop and somebody had, you know, a minor possession in the vehicle or at the home, but it wasn't contributing to another crime. Is that something you have some discretion to, yeah, absolutely. to work around? Yeah. Um, and again, if we're talking about misdemeanor crime, there's yeah. usually some sort of discretion there and, you know, and all the way up to the, to the judges and things like that in the sure. small courts. for Right. Sure. Um, and a lot of times we, as law enforcement, we we change the way we arrest or mm -hmm. treat situations based on how the courts are ruling, yeah. um, how the state attorney's office is taking cases. Yeah, because so, part of that is like, is something going to even be prosecuted? You correct. might as well not even arrest it. Right, you know it won't be prosecuted. Right, it might be a waste. And COVID of changed time. that a lot too, right? I mean, they were uh, yeah. they weren't trying anything unless it was like major i mean well there was a time where we weren't even making arrests because why yeah you can't even bring them into the jail correct you know and so it's like right yeah stuff that we would have normally arrested for we weren't arresting for yeah. um and that was an interesting time you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah no we we still now, have there, there like a phone call that you have to make to a to the like the da's office or something like Hey, we've got this situation. Do we need to arrest them or not? Or did they just give you? Well, they kind of gave us criteria. criteria? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I I can't say that there wasn't a situation where we didn't have to yeah. call, but um, I mean, didn't mean that they weren't subject to arrest later on. Sure. Um, we just you gather the evidence, make you know, correct. take down the information right. of what happened. And then submit and then, it. Right. And then yeah. usually there was a warrant issued for their arrest. Yeah. So. Um, and that's got to be like, 
that's got to be like the worst feeling for that person too. They're like, oh, I got, you know, like I'm good. I got got sure. out of that fine. And then 30 days later or whatever, there's a warrant for their arrest. Yeah. And they're like, wait, what? I thought well, you know, and I, I think I would say most law enforcement agencies were pretty clear to say, hey, look, you know, still today's clear. today's your lucky day. You're not going to jail today, but you're, you're most put, likely going to. Put some affairs in order because right. it's probably going to happen. Correct. But they're just so backlogged or not doing it right now that it might be a while yes wow yeah oh it's interesting time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um as most of your world normalized as far as some of those things you know yep. kind of back to but was there any um permanent like changes or or maybe positive outcomes in the whole covid situation that sucked for everyone is there any like just anything that it brought to light i mean i know during that time we already talked about George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, things like that. But was there anything else that just some kind of change, you know, um, you know, maybe even to do with the technology or something, you know, like a lot of businesses went to Zoom meetings like, hey, you can we're in New York, but you can live in Florida if you want. Like Florida's had a lot of residents that moved right. here based on their business using, you know, be, during COVID. That was an outcome of it. Yeah, that was one of the things yeah. that we definitely realized, like it's pretty easy to get people together on a zoom call right um you know typically when you would meet um particularly you know if you if i was meeting with the sheriff's office mm -hmm. usually everybody's over on the west side driving of the county over the land so i would drive over there and um yeah it makes it a lot easier for us to yeah to have conversations and that's a long drive and you can't just run sirens and get over there like you <laughs> no. still have to obey that oh, order, yeah. you know <laughs> oh man all right, one last thing. If, okay. if somebody if somebody sees, I mean, this is a joke. If somebody sees an officer doing something um, that's absolutely insane, like flip their lights on to get through a light, um, what do they do about that? Um, you know, like on, get through a light, and get off. Like just stuff that we all know. Like that was bullcrap. That was right. You know. Well, they. Uh, I would certainly ask them to report it to us. Yeah. Um, you know, there there may be an reason, extenuating circumstance, right. like. Like you're saying, we don't know everything because right. we think we do. There might be an extenuating <laughs> circumstance, but yeah, um, yeah, it's always best, uh, and and we can always look into yeah. it. There's, and again, there's dash cam video, and um, you know, if they flip their yeah. lights on, their camera comes on. So we, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we generally, and it, even if you had a time, right? You say, oh, I saw officer so and so go through sure. the red light at whatever time. We'll know whether or not they're responding to a call or yeah. not. So. To be fair, the one time I saw that, it was a Pasco County, so it, it wasn't one of y'all. All right. Well, again, there might be circumstances. Hey, so listen, if, if Sheriff Nako wants to come on and do a podcast, I'd love to have him sitting in that chair, and we'll talk to yeah. I'll tell him that it was Zephyr Hills that did it. So, you know. Oh, okay. Well, I got evidence that says otherwise now. So. Uh, in all reality, I probably never saw it at all, and I'm just making something up, just seeing what, <laughs> what we should do. But listen, this has been a lot of fun, and I think, um, uh, I I think we need to uh, – maybe you know maybe wrap up for today and sure. allow some some stuff because i mean you know there's there's other things that i think would be um you know interesting to talk about and uh, i don't want to spend all that time today i want to have some stuff left for another time so yeah have um, me back whenever you're ready yeah so. i'll let you know you know we're gonna uh, i got a list of people that i want to run through and then we'll keep sure. um you know just keep going over and over and then the other thing is um i want to you know add some more stuff you know showcasing a few local um, businesses and things like yeah. that too and so somebody suggested a um you know a thing like you know hey you could get like 
maybe try like three or four different Cuban sandwiches from different places and rank them. Just fun stuff that we could add to the podcast. It would be kind of neat. Uh, I, I don't mind being too. a judge for that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so you know, we could, uh, you know, there's, there's one thing I think we need to clear up, and that's cops and donuts. And I think I figured out why that became like the reputation but i want to hear your take on why you think uh that became like the thing that everybody like tries to poke fun at cops about i'll be honest with you i don't like well i don't know where it came from <laughs> to be honest with you i've never researched the history behind it um sure there's a reason for it um i've never been a fan of the stereotype yeah but damn i like donuts <laughs> who doesn't like, oh, donuts, good, right? like yeah so, so so here's what i here's where i think it, it it all started i think in back in the day when when like 7-eleven was the the long hour place yeah. you know and nothing was nothing was open you know it was like 8 a.m to 8 p.m or whatever stuff closed i don't know when it closed um you would have donut shops that were open at what 4 30 or 5 a.m for the early crowd headed into the shop or to work or whatever and so cops that are on the night shift they've got nowhere to be that's open they've checked all the doors to make sure everybody locked their business at I night mean, in the old day and so they're going to hang out at the donut shop and those people want them there for like a little protection because they're, sure. they're there at work at what, 3 a.m right, you yeah. know and they're like hey if you want to show up you know and make sure everything's cool we'll get you some donuts so i think they just started hanging out in donut shops because that was what was open that is a <laughs> very legitimate explanation yeah. behind it so i think that's all it was right. you know um my, my, and the reason I figured that out, my dad was a small town police officer for about a decade uh, back in like the 80s and 90s. And he would go to um, like the 7-Eleven or whatever it was and and just hang out there. You know, same reason, right. like close to closing time or something. Yeah. Nothing else going on. And it's a small town is dead. You know, yep. it's just it's like smaller than Zephyr Hills where, you know, we roll the sidewalks up at like 830 or 9 o'clock <laughs> right. here. And, uh, and so we're like, nah, no, it needs to be out. But, uh, you know, they're in this small little community. There's nothing happening. There's no traffic. So he's hanging out at the 7-Eleven, being friends with the employees and eating nachos and stuff from their cheese cheese dispenser. And then really, in the morning, it's the donut shop. That's really, all you get. It's really no different now. I mean, there are yeah. only certain places open 24 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. And officers that work the night shift, right. they, they have to... Listen, I am pulling to have a steak and shake here we need something that's accessible and it's open 24 hours like it's not nasty it's not like a great wholesome meal but it's like it'll do you know and they got pancakes all you can eat pancakes for it used to be four bucks i don't know what it is now but they have a lot of pancakes for four dollars and uh it's like man a steak and shake would work here i think it would do just fine and so i actually made i made a spoof like a fake facebook page years ago that was place a steak or steak and shake in zephyr hills now and it has like a hundred followers on it and every now really? and then i would like post something new just for fun right but i keep thinking like Someday somebody's going to do it, and I'll just be able to claim that it was all because of my efforts that we have a steak and shake now in Zephyr Hills. But so far, it hasn't happened. We got the Chipotle and the Chick-fil-A and all this stuff. At but some point, the Chick-fil-A was somebody's idea. It was somebody's so. idea. Uh, Bubba Coo's Burritos is open right. now, finally. Uh, it's right next to the liquor store and laundromat, or if you're not familiar with them, it's next to Harbor Freight yeah. Tools. Yeah. But some people are going to be more familiar with one than the other, right. so I used I used to work at a car dealership in Nashville that was, um, we would tell people where it was, and they're like, I don't recognize that. And we'd say, it's across from the Purple Onion, which was like an adult novelty store. And they're like, oh, yeah, I know where that is. I'm like, oh, you know where that is. Okay. <laughs> like, we told you three other legit businesses. but Okay. Uh, speaking of which, we have an, an adult novelty store in Zephyr Hills now, apparently, where the old lawnmower shop used to be. 
<laughs> Are you trying to get me to respond? Nope. No, okay. no. Right. I got you to respond. Yeah. It, it looks right. great, too. They did absolutely zero work updating the outside of the building. It still looks like it was a lawnmower engine repair shop. I don't know what the inside looks like, and I probably won't. But uh, but anyway. <laughs> Nick, I don't want to know anything about your personal life, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just not, it's not anywhere that I plan on being, so it's fine. Uh, no judgment little judgment to people who do want to go there right. that's that's their business um i try to i try to live my life where i let people do their thing and if they come to me and say hey i'm messing up what do i need to do right. i'll walk with you from there on sure, out. of course so um anyway well chief thanks for being here it's uh, been it's been fun yeah. and i look forward to doing it again thanks for everything um that you do in the community thanks for all your officers um you know we've got we've had a lot of um great interactions with them yeah um me, like anyone else, we've needed police services before. I've had stuff of mine stolen, and the officers responded to that. Yep. Um, oddly enough, uh, uh, somebody that routinely sells pills on the street was the one that helped me find my stolen property because he knew the guy that had stolen it. And I don't know what kind of favor he was looking for at the time or what good right. he thought it would buy him. But anyway, I was grateful that he did help right. out. And um, and so anyway, he uh, you know I got my uh, – it was my grandfather had like a uh, – it was a – it's a 68, um, 1968 Honda Trail 90 little mo motorcycle that they go up like the side of a mountain, like a billy goat almost. And oh, wow. Real cool. yeah. It was my grandfather's, and, and I received it from his stuff when he passed away. And um, I used to, like, cruise around on it just around the block and stuff, and I had it cabled up inside the fence at my house here and, uh, you know, inside the chain link. And I learned really easily that quarter-inch um, braided steel cables cut really easily with bolt cutters, apparently. So they <laughs> took it right out of my yard in the middle of the morning, like at 11 a.m. when I was going to the grocery store, and so that hurt. But, like, a month later, I had it back and, you know, had the officers there, like, trying to get fingerprints off of it and stuff. But and... at the same time, that was a horrible feeling, really. Oh, it was a right. terrible feeling. Like, sure. that was, right. you know, I mean, you know, the things are worth, like, in good shape, 1500 bucks, which right. is amazing for a bike that's that old, but it really didn't matter if it was worth a hundred bucks or a 10,000. It okay. was, you know, that was something I remember my grandfather taking me on a ride on around their yard. Right. And so it was like, um, you know, that was just, you know, it was just thing. And, and a story for another time, you know, just more on like on a personal spiritual level is some of the things that God taught me about that and about how much I was clinging to, um, things that I said, well, this is mine. And it was mine. Like it was nobody else's, but mine. And right. that guy had no right to it. But the point was something that, through that that god spoke to me about yeah. and and it's like are you holding on to some things too tight that are getting in the way of some of the other stuff that i'm supposed to do and so i actually had to go through a time after that where i said okay god you know if um if if you need to take my stuff and redistribute it to someone else right. then that's then that's how it is and, and so i started entrusting everything to him which really changed things um you know, I had something else get stolen, and it was my fault. It was stupid. I had a golf cart. I left it right outside my house, like, next to the driveway with the key in it. I'd forgotten it was out there. Like, I was driving it around, you know, because we've got stuff here on the church property. Like, the garage is on the other end of the property, and it's so far away that it's, I got tools there. And if I'm doing something, I'm, like, walking back and forth. I'm never getting anything done because my tools are all down there. So I got this golf cart. I ride back and forth to grab tools and stuff. And I forgot that I'd left it right out there with the key in it and on. And somebody you know, snagged it in the middle of the night and joy rode it all the way up towards Daughtery road and crashed it into a stump <laughs> and apparently fell through the windshield or something. Cause they broke the windshield. Oh, really? so that was the only like good side of it. But 
then it got towed across county to like Hudson because that's who was next on the list for retrieval. And I mean, I didn't even know until I came out and said, wait a minute, where's my cart? And uh, one of your officers had already like, when I called, he's like, yeah, I know where your cart's at, but you're not going to be happy. It's, it's in the towing lot. And so it was like 200 and something dollars, you know, $256 to retrieve it. Yeah. But anyway, it's just like, oh man, okay. And, and so that part I hated, but at the same time, I was like, okay, if my cart needed to get stolen, it needed to get stolen. And that's, that's something that I think it takes, it takes a lot of, um, commitment, you know, as like, I'm a Christian. So as a Christian, it takes a lot of commitment to trusting God for something like that. And, yeah. and that I was like, all right, God, if you're testing me, it's a strong, <laughs> it's, it's solid, but you know what, in the end it's, it's an old golf cart that I paid 500 bucks for, which I got to steal on it. It was a good deal, but I mean, like, okay. But it's, it's hard to keep that in perspective when you're is. going through it. So. It is hard. And, and, and it was like, at that moment, I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm being prepared for something bigger here. And right. this is like, not like I'm like Job in the Bible, you know, who right. lost everything yeah. except for his nagging wife, um, which, I mean, read the story. That's what happened. He lost everything except for his nagging wife. So he was, she was terrible. Not all wives are, but this one was. And um, some of you can relate, I'm sure. But, um, you know, I was like, am, am I about to lose more stuff, you know, and right. is it, is my heart and perspective on it right now and how I respond to this, is that preparing me for something bigger that's happening? And so, um, that's a different topic for maybe even a different audience, but I'm, you know, I'm talking about, you know, surrendering your, your life, uh, to something bigger than you and, and God trains us on those things and the smaller things. And so, um, that was part of my journey, but that was a time that I needed, yeah. you know, the police services and they were helpful, you know, and it was good to have, have them there. Well, I, I'm glad we were there. <laughs> uh, and, and please, uh, you know, I, I think the good thing about having, uh, working in a community like this is, um, you know, I'm, I'm never that far away. And if, if you yeah. thought something wasn't right about the police interaction, we can talk about it Yeah. because I don't, I don't want, I don't want community members to feel like, um, you know, we did something out of sheer, sure, you know, just because we wanted to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and sometimes that does happen. And, that, and, and you have internal procedures for how absolutely. to deal with that, which might be, yeah. it might be a, um, something that you've seen as a characteristic that's ongoing, sure. but it might just been, like you say, an officer had just the culmination of a bad day or a bad week Absolutely. or whatever. So yeah, and we can fix that stuff. And, and I think that's where the, the empathy has to go both ways, you know, from the citizenry to the officers, you know, we've got sure. to be like, you know what? All right. I mean, we've, we've probably all been pulled over where we weren't happy with the interaction, you know, sure. um, somewhere. I mean, right. um, I got singled out of a line of speeders because I had merged in with the fast lane of traffic. This is in Tennessee, you know, in the fast lane of traffic to let others merge onto the interstate. And when I came over, you know, I'm the only one in that row, but I was going the speed of these people. And, and I, like I was trying, that was when I was actually right. reforming my driving ways, trying to not speed. And I just remember feeling so like beat up at that point. Cause I'm like, sure. I'm trying, you know, right. trying to be better and I can't. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, sometimes you leave those interactions just not appreciative of it, but at the same time, you know, a little empathy the other direction. Like, sure. where did they go through? Where, where were they at today? You know, they might have just delivered some news to someone that they're, you know, their or loved made one a died. Mistake. Or, or, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, that too. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, all right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate no, it. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. We'll do this again. Yeah, absolutely. All, all right. right. Um, so, real quick, uh, the... Um, 
for the for the show we've got an email address you can send me anything that you'd like uh, to talk about that is uh, um, talk with Nick about anything at gmail.com we'll have a few links in the description for this podcast episode that you can talk about as always if you have any um, anybody that you'd like to see as a guest or you might um, like to be a guest on this show I would love to hear from you and so send me an email to that and I can send you a link to my recording schedule love to um, talk with you about just about anything and my belief is that people have um, experiences and, and stories and expertise even that is uh, useful and beneficial to others and so as we get to share those with each other maybe we can all learn and grow and be um, more decent human beings and and more loving towards our neighbors around us so on behalf of uh, chief brewer in the zephyr hills uh, city of zephyr hills police department we appreciate you listening and taking part in this and uh, we'll catch you next time thanks mm-hmm.